now available on Tubi TV. Bigfoot the Legend is Real. The Ultimate Bigfoot documentary is now playing on Tubi TV and features some awesome witness interviews as well as some amazing Bigfoot evidence. That's Bigfoot the Legend is Real, look for it on Tubi TV. Now playing with no paying, watch for free on Tubi TV. Also available on Amazon, the Roku channel and Plex TV. So my friends, they're always coming up to me, right? And they says, hey, what are you listening to over there? And I says, I'm over here now. I'm listening to the Diego and Devore show. You hear me? You know what I'm talking about, right, Snapperhead? Oh! Pro wrestling, paranormal, and all things entertainment. From parts unknown, way unknown, here they are. Lord Everett DeVore and co-host Diego. They are the Diego and DeVore Show. Welcome to another episode of the Diego and DeVore Show. Tonight, we continue our journey into the unknown. A world outside our own, or is it really? A subject that many choose to ignore and not believe until it comes knocking straight at your door and knocking at your soul. An experience that you will never forget. Tonight's guest is paranormal investigator and founder of Segra Paranormal and Newport Paranormal Society. He's the researcher of all things paranormal and cryptids. You can follow his investigation on his very popular YouTube channel. Please welcome a new and good friend of the Diego and Divorce Show, Nate Elwell. How are you, my friend? Welcome to the Diego and Divorce Show. Thank you for having me, and I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Hey, man. Thank you for being on the show. I know we've been in contact for the last couple of weeks back and forth on, you know, using Twitter for what it's really supposed to be, socializing, right, social networking. you know, making connection, making relationships. And um, this is what this show is all about. So tonight, and I know I'm going to try to release this tomorrow on Halloween. So the time, it couldn't be better for this subject. Agreed. And so let me start with this because I was doing a little binge watching on your YouTube channel and you... Well, let's talk about your testing that you did with some equipment uh, in two locations. Okay. One was an abandoned hospital and yep. also an abandoned asylum. Let's get into that and how was that experience because I've seen some things that were happening there. Okay, so overall, uh, the, the, the abandoned asylum and abandoned hospital, I, I may have misworded that in the YouTube and that was my fault. It's actually the same location. So it started off as a health facility or a hospital and later turned into a mental health asylum. So the place was opened in 1896 and was in operation until 2003. So it didn't close all that long ago, in all honesty. The place itself is massive. Uh, at its heyday, it had 58 buildings, including a women's overflow building, because during the early days of it opening, most of the patients admitted there were women. And they got so much of an influx of patients being brought in that they actually had to create a whole new building just to hold the overflow. Wow. And as we know, back in those days, there was no such things as uh, having good bedside manners with your patients because there's some crazy stuff happening back then with the way these patients were treated by the staff. Oh, absolutely. Um, one, of the, one of the most gruesome things that happened there was there was a patient that was put into what's called a warmer hot hydrotherapy. Uh, they typically call it warm, although the water, the water is basically scalding. So the patient was put in there, and the nurse went to attend to another patient who was becoming unruly. By the time she got back, the guy had actually boiled to death. Good Lord, man. And uh, they don't know how long he was in there. She gave an approximation 
uh, 15 minutes in scalding hot water, but he ended up third degree burns completely over his body. They literally said he basically boiled from the outside in. So with, with cases of that of, of abuse and inhumane conditions and in the treatment of these patients, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of them probably died at that facility. Um, they, they have an unknown amount of deaths, but they do have a cemetery that is uh, about a quarter mile from the actual facility grounds. And that, that cemetery holds a little bit over 900 patients that perished at the facility. That's not to mention the overflow of patients that have been documented that are buried in the Lakeview Cemetery about two miles up the road. And there's about 150 of those there. Now, they do believe that there is a potter's grave on site, which a potter's grave is a mass grave that is just not marked. It's just they had such a massive amount of death, they threw them into a pit and buried them. Right. Oh, so basically, it's a perfect storm for paranormal activity straight straight Absolutely. on there. Because So while you were there, what did you catch? Because I saw some of it. For those that haven't, you know, can you go ahead and just walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I took my daughter out to the facility. My daughter's really big into the paranormal like I am. And I told her when she turned 16, I would take her on her first investigation, see how she does. I have a pretty strict age limit on my group. No one under 16. And if you're under 16, you must be accompanied by your parent. And that's because children are more susceptible to the paranormal. I'm not going to be blamed if something follows your child home. And that's that's just point blank. So I took my daughter out to the facility and we walked around using an app called the Ghost Hunting Tools app. Now this app is free on Android and iOS. You can get a paid version for $1.99 and the dictionary gets upped from like 1500 words to like 4,500 words. So is it worth it? Maybe, uh, I think it is, but that's up to you know whoever to decide. So we were walking the facility grounds and we hit probably 20 buildings throughout the facility in this saga. I still actually have two more videos to release from Medfield State Hospital. And when we were at the women's overflow, we had noises coming from inside the building. We had voices that we were audibly hearing coming from inside the building. And not to mention some of the EVP and audio that we caught while we were sitting outside on the steps. And if, for those of you who don't know, an EVP is an electronic voice phenomenon. It's basically something that gets caught on an audio recorder or is imprinted on the audio recording device, and we don't physically hear it at the time. It comes through the ambient static as you're listening back to the recording. Well, so that actually kind of leads into some of what I was going to ask you a little bit later, but let's go into that. So what did you capture? Because I know, spoiler alert, at the end of the show, we're going to talk about, you actually sent me some uh, one of your sessions. and uh, Yep. I don't want to give it away, but other than what we're going to play at the end of the show, what have you caught? Okay, so when we were at the women's tuberculosis ward, uh, they had an outbreak of tuberculosis in the 1940s up to about 1956. There was an estimated 76 patients in the facility, just women-wise, that passed away from tuberculosis. Uh, the men's ward was torn down, and I think it was like 1996, so that building is no longer there. But we were outside of the women's ward. We set my phone when we were using the application on a windowsill. It was the easiest spot to sit it where it wasn't going to fall over because I have one of those stupid pop sockets and you can't sit it on anything. And so I was sitting there. We weren't getting anything going on at all. We had like almost five minutes of silence in the application. I was like, all right, you know what, Danny, let's let's switch. Let's switch places. Let's go around back of the building and see if there's you know anything back there. So what we didn't hear at the time was when I picked up the phone and started walking, a female's voice came through the recording that said, don't go. And it, it's extremely clear, and I still am kind of shocked because it sounds literally like they're standing right next to me. If there was a physical person there, I would have tagged the recorder, so I know there was no one there. Right. So with that, so with these spirits, 
because I know there are some people who they don't hear these things. There are some that have a gift that can hear this even without recording equipment. So right. how, how is it that these uh, spirits communicate? What is there some sort of certain radio frequency? Is it is there something that we're not picking up? or? And, you know, and that that is kind of um, a, a hot topic because it's really no way to physically, scientifically document it. And that is where it comes into the point of the paranormal not really being a science. It's more of a pseudoscience because you can't take the paranormal, put it into a controlled environment, and recreate the effects. It happens when it wants to. So my theory is that the spirits speak on a frequency that is able to record on the magnetic tapes inside of your voice recorders. We can't physically hear it because it's at a decibel range that we don't hear until we play the recording back. Right. So with the is that where usually the... Uh... My terminology may be a little either out of date or I just don't remember the uh, the ghost box. Is that yes, uh, so? The ghost go box. Ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking about like the SB sevens. Something like similar frequency. Yeah. Radio frequencies. Correct. Okay, so uh, I do use an app called Sono X10. I've actually never physically used an SB seven or SB eleven spirit box. Uh, I'm not the firmest believer in them. But I will say, the SBX10, when I used that application, I ran that test and I released that video, there were some great responses that came through. Um, I asked about my cat. We recently got a cat. Can you tell me the cat's name? And Acorn came through the the, the box, and my cat's name is Acorn. Uh, wow. I asked, who was asleep upstairs? And it said, Brittany. Brittany's my girlfriend. So, you know... It, are they able to talk to us through ambient radio raids? Maybe. Uh, I'm not sure if they're able to or if it's just the white static coming through, giving us kind of like a brain pareidolia in a way where we're hearing what we want to hear. But to me, it's just too coincidental for these syllables to come together to formulate what seems to be a word to consider it, you know, an audio pareidolia. What energy draws them to speak? Because I know somebody passes away, depending on, I don't want to talk about religion. It's one of those things we don't really talk about, depending what That's side fine. of the fence you fall into. But so what is it that keeps them here, but not here? And, oh. and what I mean is they choose to communicate, but there's only, is there a certain time that they can do it? Because they're not, I mean, they're present, but they cannot always communicate. It's almost like it's so brief and then you don't hear it. Right. And that that honestly depends on the, the type of entity you're contacting. Um, you got your residual spirit, which honestly can't contact you at all. Uh, it's like a, a CD stuck on skip. It's going to skip every time. It doesn't matter whether you're there or not. If you're playing the CD and you're not home, it's still going to skip at that point. They don't communicate at all. And then you have your intelligent ones. So the, the energy that I use to draw them in is I use positive energy because I don't want to attract anything negative. Um, before I do any kind of session, I ground and center myself, you know, try to get rid of any kind of negative energies and you just, you can use anything to draw them in such as like an EM pump. Um, they say that electromagnetic frequencies or magnetic fields can draw them in and they feed off of that energy and it gives them a better, I guess you could say, um, uh, strength to communicate. Is that true? Uh, I'm not the firmest believer in it i think that they just naturally have the energy and they communicate with who they want to communicate with so i guess depending whether they they find you worthy to communicate or not right because you know in theory they can sense the energy that you're putting off so if you're going into a place and you're just like angry what is the chance if you're a spirit and you sense someone who's angry you're going to want to go and talk to them right you don't want to go near them no and you wouldn't and Depending on the situation of the cause of their death or 
where you're living at because some they say that it's not the homes that are haunted perhaps it's the the land where the homes are built the land is haunted right and that is a that is a very big theory um take a take a look at gettysburg i mean Mm -hmm. if you live in gettysburg and your house is haunted there's a good chance your house itself isn't haunted it's land that your house is sitting on and you know when you have a place say I'll use Gettysburg because we're already on that. I'm using that as an example where a battle took place and people were killed. Nine times out of ten, it happened so quickly that they probably don't even know they're dead. Right. Well, brings me to the next question because, again, being where you fall in whatever faith anybody falls into, I'm going to use the generic terms of heaven or hell or purgatory for those of who choose to believe in purgatory. What is it that keeps them here? Because if you're going to go one way or the other— but yet you have all these souls trapped on earth somehow. So, so what's going on there? So there's multiple theories behind this. Um, the first theory is they just have unfinished business. You know, they, they passed away and they didn't get a chance to say goodbye to someone or there was something in their life that they wanted to do that they never got to accomplish. And sometimes people say that that energy can make a spirit linger because they're physically trying to complete the task that they set upon when they were alive. Um, the second theory is the traumatic death. It happens so quickly that they don't know they're dead. They're just walking around thinking that they're still on the living plane when they're not. And that's normally the style of a residual haunting. And that's why you really can't communicate with them because they don't know that they're dead. They're just energy. And then you have your third type, which is the violent death or the death of a suicide person. So that just leaves an imminent sadness. It's it's literally just a cluster of saddened energy or angry energy and that can imprint itself into the the surrounding area. Um, they call it the stone tape theory. And once it imprints itself into that area, the spirit itself will linger there because it can't escape. In your opinion, how, how could it escape? Speaking of completing tasks or sending a certain message, do they have to reach a certain milestone before a higher power decides to bring them to wherever they need to go? You know, and that's an that's an interesting question. Um, it's one that I can I can honestly say I probably don't really have an answer for, but I can say that I think that's where us as paranormal investigators come in, because we can try to communicate these spirits. Hey, do you have something that you need done that I can help you with? And if I help you with this, will you move on? And I have a a two part kind of question. It kind of has to do something one with the other. So okay, they accomplish this task and they they can move on. We know what keeps them there. So when you go to a location, what draws you to that location? It, what qualifies a location to be, let's say, haunted? So before you say, yeah, this is haunted, there's a spirit here. In your mathematical equation of deducting, you know, what it could be the wind, it could be creaky wood, could just be the HVAC. What's your plan when you go? Okay, so... The way I do things is a little bit old school. Um, What you see nowadays is people going out with this high-tech equipment. You know what? All that high-tech equipment, all the bells and whistles, they're great if you got the money to waste. But I'm going to be honest with you. You can do the job with the lowest tech equipment possible. You just have to know how to use it. So I go in first. I do a baseline. Do my baseline. I take EMF readings. I do temperature readings. You know, I take preliminary audio, and I sketch the building as I'm walking through it to mark hazards for when my team actually goes in because – I don't want to be held liable if I have a team member fall through a hole in the floor. So once we do that and I got my baselines, I schedule up an actual investigation. We go in with our cameras and our audio recording equipment and notebooks, and we take notes. We do our audio. We timestamp. We tag. Once we go through everything, 
I feel like I have to have enough substantial evidence to say, hey, look, you have something here. If I go into a location and I catch one EVP, I'm not going to tell you your house is haunted because it's probably not. But if I go into a location and I catch, say, video of a ladder moving on its own like I had encountered in Alabama, and in that location I caught 15 EVPs that were clear Class A audio, then, yeah, I'm going to tell you you got something here. Right. So what's the – so we got the qualifiers. Once you're there and you tell your, your client, okay, this is what we got, what's the next step? The next step is asking them what they would like to do. You would be shocked how many people have a spirit that don't want to remove it. They, they just want validation that they're not crazy. So you go in and you, you show them, hey, look, this is what I've caught. And you, you pre-warn them if you catch something that could be kind of unsettling. You say, hey, look, this might be a little unsettling, but I'm going to play it for you, and then I'm going to explain to you what I think is going on. And then once you do all that, you ask them, you know, what would you like done? A lot of people will say, you know what? I'm not crazy. There's something here, and I'm fine with it. And then you have those ones that say, well, I want it gone. So as you said, you know, you don't deal with religious talks very often. I'm not necessarily a very religious person, so I'm okay with this. But I respect everyone's faith. So when I go into a location, I bring different aspects of different faiths, such as holy water. I've got Florida water. I bring sage. I bring anointed oils. And I bring uh, blessed incense. I bring a various array of tools so I can kind of adapt to their religious beliefs to help them rid themselves of the spirit if that's what they deem that they want to do. Let's talk, if you could bring back real quick. So you said you went to, you go to different locations. So can you tell the listeners of the Diego and Divorce show how, about one of your cases, you know, how did that go? And you don't have to name names, but tell me the, what's, what's the story behind that one case? So uh, one case that I know she won't mind me mentioning her name, and it's okay. So my sister, when we lived in Alabama, she bought a house that was built in like the 60s. When, she, when her and her husband moved in there, they said that it felt kind of strange. But at that point in time, they needed a place to stay. They had a newborn. So we go in. My sister had been living there for almost four years. The claims that she had were hearing children crying at night when her kids were all asleep. During the middle of the day when her kids were at school, she would hear doors opening and closing, mainly the garage door and the kid's bedroom door. She was having water turn itself on, shut itself off, almost like a poltergeist-style activity. So she asked me, she was like, hey, I wasn't going to ask you because I don't want to bother you, but can you come in and check this out? So I said, yeah, sure, not a problem. So as I told you earlier, you know, I do things a little bit differently. I went in, and the only thing I asked because of the claims of hearing children talking, that her children were not present, that she found a babysitter. But I let them go about their daily routine. I stayed there for two whole days. First night, they went about their daily routine with me there. Because I, I, the way I see it is if the spirit is not familiar with me, it may not communicate with me. But it's familiar with them, so it may act out when they're there because that's what they're used to. So the second night, I had the house to myself. And I was in the child's bedroom. And I had my audio recorder running. And I said, you know, if there's anyone here, can you come forward and speak to me? I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to talk. And we got this EVP that said, I always do what daddy says. Meet me by the pecan tree. Wow. And my sister did have a pecan tree in the backyard. And while planting a garden around the pecan tree, she found a child's left shoe buried in the dirt. How far deep in the dirt was it? So it was it was at, about four so, feet. Uh, wow. And it just led you straight to that. Yep. My goodness, man. So now, when you do th- when you do this, what, what's your what's your biggest fear when you go and do these investigations? You know, I, I I try to clear fear out of my head. 
when I go and do these things. I would say if I had a personal fear sitting here talking to you right now, face-to-face, investigation aside, my biggest fear would be something negative following me home, only because I do have a toddler. So I wouldn't want to put him in any danger. Myself, I'm not too concerned about, but him, you know, that would be my biggest fear, I think. So those that follow you home, what classification of spirits are they? Are they poltergeists? Are they demons? Are What are they? So re- really quick, um, different classifications. Uh, demons, very uncommon. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been investigating the paranormal for 15 years. I've never encountered a demon. I've encountered some pretty nasty human spirits that can scratch you and stuff, but never a demon. Um You see it on mainstream media. Oh, it's a demon. No, it's probably not. It's probably just a spirit of a human who is extremely angry. So very uncommon. Poltergeist, very uncommon. And due to contrary belief, poltergeist technically is not a ghost. It's actually just pent-up energy that's being released. If you go back through history, uh, Dr. Hans Holzer did a detailed study on the poltergeist. And he found out that in 95% of his studies that any case that contained a poltergeist had an adolescent child going through puberty. So his initial assessment is that the energy from the change that they're going through gets pent up and they don't know how to release it. So somehow they're releasing it telekinetically, causing movement of objects, causing circular puddles of water to appear on the floor, causing spontaneous fires to break out. Poltergeist-style hauntings are extremely rare. You can have poltergeist-style activity such as movement of objects, without having a poltergeist. So that's actually not very common to have happen. If you end up with an attachment, I will say that it normally is something negative. Very rarely does something nice follow you home. Speaking of the energy, because it is my understanding as an amateur and as an active interest in this subject, that negative energy attracts these spirits. So Let's just say, if you say a young adolescent has all this energy, are they some sort of conduit to attract these things? Uh, in in a better lack of terms, I would say that is an absolutely good assess, uh, assessment, yeah. Because, you know, teenagers, they're full of all that stuff, and, you know, not oh, all of them. And... Yeah, you know, you know, me as an adult, I still have all those issues. <laughs> so... That's yeah, probably... I, think, I think that's absolutely a great assessment, and that's very, very probable. So could an adolescent child going through puberty or an adolescent teenager attract a spirit in that could be giving off poltergeist-style activity? Yeah, it is possible. But, you know, poltergeist, you know, it translates from German to noisy ghost. And the basics of it is, is it really is just an energy. But then again, what is a spirit? It's energy. It's just we don't categorize or I don't categorize a poltergeist as an actual ghost because there's not really an apparition or anything. It's just the energy. Right. And with that energy, so I'll, I'll break a little bit of this. I don't know. I'll say science with is there a possibility? And just we're just saying possible with opinions that maybe that energy is is an untapped heart or particle or something in your brain that I guess as humans evolve, it's something that we may eventually have down the road. But some people have that already. Right. And there there are rumors out there of people who can tap into that section of their brain, you know, and they can move objects just by looking at them. I've never personally met one. And I've never personally seen anyone do it, but people people claim that they've seen it. Yeah, and normally those folks that may have it usually get a knock at the door by people in lab coats and say, hey, come with me. <laughs> hey, come on here. Yeah. I don't need that in my life, tell you the truth. Oh. No, I'm good. I'm good. So how do you prepare 
for these investigations. I've asked different people in the past. Everybody has a different ritual or thing they do. What is it that you do to prepare yourself? You knowingly like this, there's something happening here, but you got to protect yourself first and your daughter first before you go and investigate. Right. So I've, so when me and my daughter go out and do these things, I've taught her how to do my centering or my grounding and centering technique. Um, basically I just kind of take a shower. I envision myself covered in mud. And as I'm washing myself off, I envision the mud slowly dripping off of me. And that's basically my way of cleansing negative energy. And after that, I am, I am Wiccan. So I have a bag of blessed stones and incense. And I meditate with my stones in my lap and with the incense burning to spiritually cleanse myself to get ready to go out and investigate these spirits, hopefully have nothing follow me home. With that being said, is this something that you found at a young age that you had this ability to not only the interest, but does something happen in your life where it's like, this is my path. You know, this is my, my, my goal is to help people. who are having problems with these things. So what hit you? What was, what was that moment that lightning that struck? Right. So I always had an interest in the paranormal growing up. Um, my first book series that I can remember ever checking out of the library was a book series written by a lady named Catherine Wyndham Tucker or Catherine Tucker Wyndham. I may have those two names backwards. I always get them backwards. But she wrote a book series called The 13 Ghost and Jeffrey. And I love the books. They're great books. And I would say 2004 was when it all started. So I'd had the interest. I've read books and stuff like that before. 2004, I started studying uh, Wicca with my grandmother, who is the one who taught me. So I got mad at someone and made the un, uh, unsmart choice of trying to make a voodoo doll. Oh. Well, I think something backfired. Uh, they have something called the rule of return where anything you do negative towards somebody comes back on you tenfold. Well, I don't know what happened, but I made the voodoo doll. I lost it. I've never been able to find the thing. It's like it up and disappeared. So the next day I start hearing knocking on my window every day at 3 a.m. Three knocks just every day at 3 a.m. And this went on for several months. So I had a dog named Stormy who was a pit bull. She used to sleep in my room every night, and she was getting up there in age, and there was a night she had an accident in my bed. And so I took her out, put her out in the, in the, in the dining room. The next night, I go to go to bed, and she's coming with me, and I'm like, nope, nope, you can't come and stay in my bed, Stormy. You know, I can't, I can't have you doing that in my bed. You're getting old. I put a pad out for you. Go and lay down on your pad. So I shut the door to my room. I lay down. About 2.30 in the morning, I feel a tugging on my blanket at my feet. I thought it was my dog. So I kick my foot back, say, Stormy, stop it. Roll over. Think about it for a second. And I was like, wait a minute. Stormy's not in the room. What did I just kick? Next morning, my father wakes me up at about 5.30 in the morning and told me that Stormy had passed away. So the next night, same thing. Tugging on my blanket. I kick my foot back and I hit something solid. And I heard something say my name. And it did not sound human. It did not sound friendly. It did not sound nice. The next day when I got up, it was scratches on my footboard. Like I had a solid oak footboard and there were scratch marks in the footboard of my bed that weren't there the week before. So I'm OCD about having doors closed. Like even right now, sitting in my house, all the doors, bathroom doors, closet doors, all the doors are shut. Um, I don't know why I've always had the habit. So my closet door had a latch on it. And I remember rolling over and I don't know why I didn't think about it at that point in time. But when I shine my flashlight to see if anything was there, my closet door was wide open. Wow. And, it, and it freaked me out. After that, the tapping on the window started again. Every day, 3 a.m., three taps on the window. 
I started telling my cousin about it, and he was like, man, you're nuts. So one of my friends, man, you're nuts. Okay, come and stay the night at my house. So they came, they'd stay the night, they'd hear the knocking. Man, you're, someone's outside the window. I open the window and no one's there. So I have probably 13 or 14 witnesses that this knocking was occurring. Once the knocking stopped, I started having violent nightmares, seeing myself dying in various ways. But weirdly, as quickly as it all started, it stopped. Well, that was what I was going to ask you because it seemed like it progressed in this. At about what age did it just stop? It stopped in uh, about midway 2005. And it, was, it went on for about a year and a half. So I get married in 2005. I move out of my parents' house to a trailer out in literally the middle of nowhere. What prompted me to find the Southeastern Ghost Research Association happened in this trailer. Uh, I used to work night shifts. I'd come home at about 11 p.m., go to bed at about 1. My ex-wife at the time was sleeping in the bed. I lay down. I go to sleep. I wake up at about 2.30 in the morning, and I can't move. I feel this pressure on my chest, and I've never felt anything like this before. Uh, the technical term for what you would call sleep paralysis. And after about what seemed like an hour, but, you know, all being out is probably five minutes. It just seems like it's a lot longer when you're in that state. I shook it off and sat up. There was a figure standing at the foot of our bed that drifted backwards into the hallway. When it dissipated, the light in the hallway got extremely bright and exploded. And a month later, I founded the Southeastern Ghost Research Association, mainly because I wanted to understand what happened to me. And then two years after that, I started accepting cases because I felt I had enough knowledge to help people with their problems because it's scary. And I wanted people to know, hey, you're not alone. Okay. And I'm glad you mentioned that, that taking cases. So when you received that call or that email, say, hey, I, there's this issue. Can you come check it out? What's your filter to make sure it's just not somebody trying to pull your leg or there's the obvious one to say, hey, I really need your help. So how do you? And that's a great How question. do you know? So the first thing I do is I ask if there's any witnesses to activity. If there's witnesses to activity, I want to talk to them too. And the reason I do that is because I want to see how much the stories between witnesses and the person giving me the actual account vary. Different people see different things, you know, and I want to make sure it's a witness that actually saw it, not a witness that heard it through the grapevine. Because you know how it works in middle school where you hear a rumor, by the time it gets to the end of the classroom, it's completely different. Right. I want to make sure we have none of that going on. Um, I ask, you know, a lot of in-depth questions that some people are uncomfortable to answer because I need to know mental state. I need to know, were you abused? I need to know, do you have a drug problem? If you do, tell me now, because I can help, I can get you help with that. So it's, it's, there's a lot of questions that get personal, and then I have to talk to the witnesses, and I want to see how much the stories align. If the stories align, and I feel like they're in a clean, sound mind, then I'll schedule up a meeting in person in a public place just to make us both feel comfortable. And we sit down, we discuss it, and we kind of move forward in baby steps because I don't like rushing this process. It's not a process you get a phone call, yep, I'll be there in 10 minutes. You go over there, you investigate. Because you know what? After you leave, if that house is haunted, those people have to deal with it once you go home. You want to make sure that you're going in here in the correct frame of mind with the correct equipment and mindset to handle it. And this is not an overnight fix. You know, in fact, it could take days to really get some sort of resolution, right? And and that's very true. So whenever I investigate, I tell the client straight up, I'm going to take your case, but I'm going to let you know it's not an overnight thing. It's going to take a little bit because not only do I have to do the investigation, I typically do multiple. So here's the fun thing. 
you go into a location, you got three video cameras, say three video cameras running, four voice recorders for 10 hours. Think about all that stuff you have to go over. And it's just right. me doing it. So I'm looking at a week, 40 hours, a work week of just audio to go over. Not to mention the three video cameras that were running for 10 hours. That's another 30 hours that I have to go over. Not, and that's in between trying to manage my job and my toddler. So you, it's, you got two, well, three full-time jobs, regular job, paranormal investigating, and raising a toddler. All full-time right. jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And when you finally, before you head and you say, okay, fine, I'll take your case. It seems legit to you. Do you do some history of that location first, or are you, are you just going to go in there and just go so, at it? So I like that question. And actually, what I do, and I'll do my preliminary investigation first. I'll go in and I'll do my first investigation, which is typically for five to six hours. It's not very long. The more detailed investigations come after the first one because I want to see if I catch anything the first time. If I catch something the first time and I feel like it merits further investigation, the next few will be my long ones. So I do my initial investigation. Then I go to the historical society and I start digging up property researchers. I start going through newspaper archives. I call the city and see if I can get a building layout or, or a blueprint for the building and look for anything that may be hidden inside of the inside of it. Because you know what? People have bought houses that didn't know they had a secret room in them. So I want to know every aspect of the house, every aspect of the land, every aspect of the history as far back as I can trace it. This way, I might actually know if I caught something during that preliminary when I go back what I'm contacting. Great strategy to have, by the way. I mean, you have the pre-interview with the witnesses. You talk to the actual person themselves. You do your research, and you go in there, and you set up. You investigate the uh, the issue, and hopefully you can find some sort of resolution. And you said whether five of the spirits can stay here or at least get them out of here. So right. being that I know there are certain, depending on the investigator, they'll bring a priest, a shaman, or they'll do the ritual themselves. So, and I know you right. spoke about it earlier, but what is your your go-to one that seems to be a successful vanishing or vanquishing of a ghost or a spirit out of a home? Right. So, uh, one thing I do agree with is if you can actually convince someone of the clergy of your faith of choice to go in and help you with it, it's always recommended. It never hurts to have that extra. Me. I typically like sage. I, I sage my house once every probably six months because, you know, I do when I do most of my app tests, I do them in my house. So who knows what I'm inviting in? Right. And so every six months or so, I'll go through and I sage my house. But I will say I found that using Florida water, which is a cologne that's actually uh, has origins in the uh, art of there's a song about it, Santeria. Mm -hmm. So Florida water is actually a cologne that you spray on you and it's a cleansing cologne. I use it to bless doorways. So as I'm saging from the top of the house to the bottom, going room to room, I bless the doorway with the Florida water. And it seems to work pretty well. Now, and I'm not trying to sound funny in any way, so how does that smell like? Actually, it doesn't water. have a smell. Is that right? Yeah, I, 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 If it has a smell, I can't tell. So, but it's something that maybe the spirits can, they can notice or... Maybe. Um, I, I honestly am not sure. When I first came across it, uh, was actually I had never heard of it until I went down to Salem, Massachusetts two years ago. And I go into a shop, mind you, I'm you know, I'm from Alabama. So I go in there and I see this stuff called Florida water. I'm like, look, if it came out of the water in Florida, I don't want it. Right. And the lady was like, No, 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 it's not actual Florida water. This is what it is. And I'm like, Oh, okay, I'll give it a shot. And as far as I can tell, it doesn't have a smell. Um but it very well might just be something in there that 
you know, triggers the spirit, hey, you can't pass through this doorway. It's like salt. Salt has a slight smell, but if you take salt, you know, when you surround your house in it or something, it's supposed to be a barrier. Right. And so, so maybe it's similar to that? Possible. You know, and I'm I'm going to get on the, on the Google machine and find out more about this because now I really have to know what this really is. Um, so you've done many cases. So let's talk about a case that kind of, um, if you could tell us the location and what happened, one that just completely just kicked your butt and is usually completely exhausted. <laughs> Because that cannot be easy work. I actually have the perfect case for this. So I told you earlier, I typically take residential cases. One time in Alabama, I was contacted by a little city called Elba. Mind you, this is a city that if you don't know where it is, you're not going to find it. It floods every year, like so bad that they can't even get flood insurance anymore. So they have an old county jail there called the Old Coffee County Jail. In 1976, a sheriff named Neil Grantham was shot to death on the front steps by an inmate he had released the day before. We were called in because they set up a haunted house attraction there every year. Well, it got to the point where the actors no, wanted to go, no longer wanted to go back to work. They were having experiences in the jail cells. They were being touched. They were hearing screaming, which uh, my thought here is it's a haunted house attraction. Yeah, you're going to hear screaming. You know what I mean? But no, they were hearing screaming when the attraction was closed. They go in, they'd set up. One day, then everything would be in a disarray the following day. So they called. They said, hey, you know, we would like you to come in and check this out. I said, well, first and foremost, it's a jail. I need to see what kind of permits I have to acquire to even be there. So I called the city hall. City hall, city manager talked to me, gave me the permit, said I had to go and talk to the Chamber of Commerce and get approval. So I went, Chamber of Commerce, everything went well, got the approval. So we go into this place, and I didn't know it at the time. On the 20th anniversary to the day of the sheriff being shot to death on the front steps. Like, I don't believe in coincidences. That is a little strange. So we're in this location and cold spots everywhere. Like, don't get me wrong. It was drafty to begin with. But Alabama heat, middle of July, you shouldn't be having cold spots in a concrete prison. It's just you shouldn't. It should attract the heat in. So my father was setting up a camera. Mind you, my father is not the most... Uh, technology sound person so he's trying to set up this camera on albeit a rudimentary tripod he couldn't get it to stay up he finally gets it up there and when he releases the camera on my recording you hear a woman's voice come over the recording that says can we please just go home it was very loud it wasn't anybody in the group now i didn't know until after my investigation that there was actually a section that used to be a shower room that they converted into a small women's facility and there were two women killed in the facility oh. So that was actually kind of an interesting thing to find out after I caught a female voice when I didn't know that females were housed there. So what really kicked my butt about this investigation, though, they have one solitary cell in the whole jail downstairs, and it hadn't been opened in so long. It took four of us and some WD-40 on the hinges to get the door open. Like, you, it, it took a lot. I'm inside here, and uh, they were like, hey, we're going to, uh, I think it was my cousin, said, hey, I want to come in there and do an EVP session with you. I said, no, no, let me go in here. I want to do a solitary. You want, I want you to go upstairs to the bullpen. Not a good choice. I go inside of the solitary cell. I'm in there for maybe 10 minutes. And the cell door that just took four of us to open slammed shut. Wow. Well, I was stuck in there for an hour. What? With no light. And it sucked. How the hell did you get out? Uh, they finally got a crowbar over there from the Chamber of Commerce to pry the door open. The only crowbar in town, probably. Most likely, because literally <laughs> the population is like 400 people. 
how it ever got approved to have a jail in it in the first place is beyond me. Unless they wanted it to just kind of be off in the sticks, you know what I mean? Right. But yeah, it, it took a pry bar, uh, three of my investigators, and the city mayor to, or the city chamber of commerce manager, I keep calling him the mayor, to get the door open. Needless to say, I, I didn't go back into that particular room the rest of the day. Ah, I wouldn't either, but was <laughs> nope. was there some sort of resolution after the whole thing? Yes, but at the same time, a very resounding no. I brought them my evidence, and it freaked them out so much that they no longer held their haunted house there. I, I don't blame them, man. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff that we caught, um, when, when you're upstairs in the bullpen, we there was a person in 1988 who was smoking a cigarette. He was drunk, fell asleep, lit his bed on fire, and he burned to death. So on the audio, when we're upstairs in the bullpen near this near this particular cell, we hear over come over the audio. Do you have a light? Even in the afterlife, they want a cigarette. That's ridiculous. After you just burnt to death, right? So it was kind of my own doing because I used what you know we like to refer to as trigger objects. I left a pack of cigarettes near the bed, and was doing audio. And the response we got was, "Do you have a light?" My goodness. It's almost like those folks who are, and I don't mean to say anything bad that, you know, they're in bad health, have an oxygen tank, can barely walk, but they're still smoking that cigarette. Oh, absolutely. And I've seen it. You know what? Not, and I, I'll admit it. I'm a, I'm a smoker. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to quit. I'm down to like less than a pack a week. So that's a good thing. Oh, well, that's the end of the show now. I don't, don't screwed it up. No, no, it's cool. <laughs> so, and I know we just talked about locations. Well, let me. I'm going to throw something at you here because I have somebody, one of the listeners, one of the loyal listeners of the Dig on Divorce show, um, Zach from Leland, North Carolina, who's also the owner of Hyper Punch Heat Hot Sauce, which I buy all the time. It's my favorite hot sauce. Not because he's my friend, but because if it was not a good hot sauce, I would tell him because I am his friend. You need to make and sure to send me the link to that. I love hot sauce. He's recently had some experiences, and apparently it's something that happens in the areas where he goes visits a lot. So let me... It's a combination of different texts, so I put it all in one thing, in one paragraph, just to get to the quick. So, Zach asked this, and he, he wants to hear your opinion. So, he just had a recent experience at his job site, and I got my piece of paper here that I'm reading. He was in a in an unoccupied home a little while back. This home apparently was built around the 1800s, and a door that was locked flew open, and he heard the word GIT, G-I-T, GIT, and we're in the South. Of course. Also, while inspecting the crawl space, he heard running and children laughing in the main structure. Now, it was really hot in some spots and then totally freezing in other spots of the home. He wants to know what causes the rapid increase in temperature and then the decrease of going from extreme hot to freezing, and then he starts sweating. Okay, so that's actually a really good question, and I appreciate it. Um, I assume from everything you're describing here um, that... Uh, Zach is involved in construction of some form. He is, uh, I believe, uh, pest control. Okay. So if it's a house that old, um, multiple things could cause the hot and cold spots. Um, Fluctuations caused by drafts could be a cold spot. However, the theory out there, if you're going off of a paranormal, would be that the spirits around, see, you know, he's hearing children running and laughing. You know, he's hearing other, other noises. Theory is that the spirits around are drawing energy out of the actual atmosphere, which is in, in turn making that area cold. So they're taking the energy that it would take to make it warm, sucking it out so they can act out, so they can be like, hey, I'm here. So 
that would be my guess as far as a paranormal style uh, explanation. The other explanation would be 1800s house. You know, there's got to be drafts. Good chance that nothing in that house is square. Um, so if it's not square, it might not have a very flush fit for a window, per se. So that window could be setting in drafts. Even if it's hot, a draft coming through a window could be up to 15 degrees colder than the surrounding temperature. So that could be a possibility. No, oh, man, I appreciate your answer because um, he was asking. It was a pretty lengthy conversation, so I condensed it into one quick paragraph. But it seems that I believe right in the towns where he's at is it's known for that type of activity. So, okay, uh, what town may I ask? Oh man, I wish I I should have wrote that down, but you know I kind of wanted to get the the bullet points of that story. But that's, um, that's fine. Uh, it was just more of a curiosity. And uh, I mean, I will definitely, I'll send you that when he, you know, I'll get a hold of him. But, you know, I appreciate yeah, you answering this, co- no, your, this absolutely. question. I appreciate him asking it. So, yeah, you know, there's one of two ways I would think it would go. It, it, the paranormal explanation that I gave as far as spirits drawing the energy out of the actual atmosphere in order to act out. Hence the reason he's hearing the noises, he's hearing the laughing, the, the running, or, you know, older house possibility of drafts. Right, you know, and back then things were built just a little bit different. We didn't have the creature comforts that we have now, yeah. Oh, yeah, Mike, my house was built in 1909, and let me tell you, the windows, they do have some drafts, and God forbid, I can't hang a picture on the wall because nothing's straight. (laughs) Understood that, man. So let's say you have a potential client because I don't know how you advertise your services, and you also said that you do not charge for your services, right? I do not. I do not. Um, out of the 15 years I've been doing this, I have never once accepted a penny from anyone who's ever contacted me because I'm in it to help people and help them understand, you know, you're not going through this alone. There are people out there who can help you. I have a huge disrespect for teams who charge for investigations. And the reason for that being is if you're charging for an investigation, you see this as a job. You're being paid to find results. So you're going to get results regardless. I go in and I'm going to tell you the truth because I'm not gaining anything from this. And that's interesting that you mentioned that. And I know I'm going to really make a lot of people mad. It's what I do. Not on I'm, purpose. I'm good with that. I've been known to ruffle feathers myself, so I'm good with it. Let's talk about television. And let's talk about the plethora of paranormal TV shows that are out there, whether it's on <clears throat> History, Discovery, all those other channels. They're or even on. The, they're all over the place. Puts me in a spot to where... I don't like accusing people of being phonies. Understood. Although, so, although sometimes the proof is in the pudding. Valid. So, and, and the reason I'm asking this question is because you mentioned that they look at it as a job, so they have to find something. Right. You can't have eight seasons of something and not give the audience what they're looking for. And you're absolutely right. On a percentage rate of what's out there now, and I'm also talking about monster hunters, Bigfoot hunters, you know, all that encompassed. What is the percentage of that that you think of maybe it's just a, a production and less real? 80%. 80%? I would say That's, 80%. That is a higher number than I was expecting to hear. And the reason I would say 80% is because you have an explosion going on right now of paranormal content. It is literally everywhere. It is a saturated market, okay? So you've got to be the next person up. You've got to be able to come in and be like, look, I'm going to do something that's never been done before. And you've got to get that wow factor that's going to catch people's attention. I'm going to tell you something about the paranormal. The paranormal is boring. Okay. Like you sit in a room for 10 hours and you have a good chance of not hearing a noise. You have a good chance of not catching anything. I have been to locations where I have sat there for days, not had anything happen. 
But that's the whole thrill of it is you have that one thing that happens and you're like, how do I explain that? But as far as what you see on TV, the boom, activity, 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 I'm sorry, no way possible that that happens in the chain reaction form that you see on a television series. That's amazing. I wouldn't have thought it was that high of a number, but I tend to agree with you. It's just like anything. Once it makes it on TV at that point, we're just trying to sell advertising. And you're 100% right. And, and this is, you know, uh, back when they had the show Ghost Hunters Academy, I was interviewed to be on Ghost Hunters Academy. I was also interviewed for the new Ghost Hunters that came out five, four or five years ago. Um, I didn't get either job, but now that I look back at it, you know, I'm kind of glad that I didn't. And it's not because I don't trust that particular group. That particular group is really good at what they do. Um, it's just the market is so saturated right now that I feel like it's not a good market to be in. Understood. So, you know, I'm glad that you said some of these things. It just the hamster in my brain, the wheels turning. What is it about? And I'm going to go and I'm talking about Sasquatch. I'm talking about ufology. I'm talking about the paranormal. Okay. And in the world we live in, I'm strictly I can only talk about the United States because this is where I live. Right. It's a more secularized society as the years go by. You know, in, in my opinion, I think we're getting away from more faith into something different. You know, it's right. a show for another day. What is it about these subjects, whether it's ufology, cryptozoology, paranormal, that people are still captivated by this? Because it seems to me that people, no matter how secularized our society is becoming, they want to believe in something. And, and that's exactly it. You, you just pretty much answered your own question. They, it's the fact that they want to believe that there's something beyond. It's the unknown. The uh, It's the unknown that intrigues them. And, you know, could there be cryptids? Yeah, it's possible. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm an avid cryptid person. I, I love reading about them. Could there be ghosts? Possibly. But, you know, in all in all, it's just unknown. We don't know enough about it to actually solidify, you know, solidify it. If we could... The paranormal would be a science and not a pseudoscience. Right. You know, it, my opinion, it is a science because your science is about investigating and finding proof. And if you're investigating, you're finding actual 100 percent proof. I think we got something there. I agree with you to an extent. And the reason I say to an extent is because say we go out, you know, you can find a million different explanations for anything that we catch. And that's where skeptics come in and debunkers. You know, I have someone on my team and that's what he does. You know, he does construction. So when he comes in, he can be like, oh, well, I think this noise was this and this will probably what could cause that. And so, you know, it's nice to have that kind of a, an outside point of view. Someone who's completely unbiased, like this dude does not believe ghosts exist whatsoever. But there's been a few times that he straight said, you know, I really don't know what could have done that. So to an extent, like I said, is because we can't take what we do and put it inside of a controlled environment. Hence the reason that scientists don't look at us like people who have PhDs and all that good stuff, you know, they don't look at us as actual scientists because we can't take what we do, put it in a controlled environment and expect to receive repeated results using that scientific method. It's just not possible. Right. So how does that relationship work? Because it's almost, I'm not making light of it, it's like going to church, but you don't believe in God. Which, yeah, and, you know what yeah. I'm saying? I do. And, and you basically nail, hit the nail on the head. It's, it's literally tantamount to that. And it's, it's, it's a difficult balance because, you know, you have people out there who firmly believe in this, no matter what you tell them, then you have those people that firmly don't. 
Nine times out of 10, the people that firmly don't are either highly religious people or, well, besides Catholics, Catholics do kind of have a belief in it to an extent, but they're either firmly religious people or they're scientists. And these people, like, they are the hardest people to convince because, like I said, we cannot take what we do and put it in a controlled environment. I wish we could. Because if we could, and we could physically document it and prove it to an extent of repeatable results, which to me, we go to a location, whether it be one location and then another location, we're catching audio. That's repeated results. Right. Mainstream science doesn't look at it that way. Hence the reason I word it as a pseudoscience. Do I believe it's a pseudoscience? No, I believe what we are doing is actual scientific research. I'm maybe I'm more along the lines of labeling it as an actual scientist would look at it, if that makes sense. Right, it does, you know, and I know that in my opinion, it isn't I'll call it a certain flavor of science. Science, it, it all depends. It's a whole thing to get into science, but you know, it's very important because you want to investigate things and you want to prove that it's true, but you gotta also be open-minded to know it's like maybe it's not nothing's going on here tonight. Right. And that's very possible. It's like if you look at a lot of the equipment that we use, you know, like our K2 meters, you know, they're, they're made to detect electromagnetic fields. That is a proven scientific fact. That's what they do. Can we actually use these devices to contact spirits? You know what? Realistically, there's no way of being able to say yes or no. Can I say that it's weird when I take my K2 meter, sit on the table, tell spirits, hey, make it blink once for yes, twice for no. And I ask a question and it blinks once and blinks twice, or it seems to answer my questions. Can I sit there and look at that and say, well, that's, you know, fluctuations or whatever. It's not, not on that constant of a level. There's something has got to be manipulating that device. What is doing that? You know, realistically, I don't know. Hey, speaking of devices. So let's get into um, old style paranormal investigating because back in those days, they didn't have, the technology, and it had the video cameras or the recording devices. What was used back then? Because uh, other than the standard Parker Brothers Ouija board, so <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. But what, what was used back then? Because there were other ways of doing this type of thing. And, and there were. Um, the most common form, and it's actually going to sound really funny, is taking notes and documenting occurrences. That is honestly the main way they would do it. They would go in and they would try to document these occurrences by writing them down in repeated succession, trying to see, hey, this happens, so they could kind of set a timeline, to, so to speak. Hey, this happened on this day. If I go back tomorrow when it happens at the same time, then I can kind of conclude that this is going to happen every day based off of my experiences here that are documented. And, you know, they did have rudimentary voice recorders back then, and you had your high eight, you know, film, which actually I have a high eight camera. For the record, film for those things is not cheap, so I don't use it. But, you know, it, it's very, they vary on their methods. Um, some people use documentation, and some people didn't take notes at all. Some people just went in and they relayed their ex experiences through word of mouth. Now, if, correct me if I'm wrong, I think back then it was very popular to perform se seances, seances, right? Seances, seances, oh yeah. Uh, the table tippings and stu stuff of that nature, or using a medium who will cough up cheesecloth and make it look like ectoplasm, that kind of thing. Is that what you're speaking on? Exactly. Okay, so it's actually kind of funny because Harry Price and Harry Houdini. I was Harry just thinking Houdini, about Houdini, yes. Houdini was an avid debunker of the paranormal. He did not believe it existed, and he was actually credited as one of the people who 
proved that they were using cheesecloth to cough up this ectoplasm that they were spitting out. And uh, I believe it was Harry Price who proved that the Fox sisters, with their initial start of the spiritualist movement, with the knockings and all the noises they were hearing, I believe it was Harry Price who found out, hey, it's actually them. And they later came out and admitted it. Wow. That's, you know, because it's not creepy in a sense, but I'm saying you're in my mind because I know the first thing I thought was Houdini because he was one of those guys who's saying he had his own act. So he knows what to look for. Yep. And that was the, and that was what made him so good at what he did. And a lot of people, you know, it's, it's not as much common knowledge now. It might be because it was on a TV show actually recently. I knew about it way before the TV show, but Harry Houdini, when he passed away, he had told his wife a safe word. He said, I want you to try to contact me once a year on Halloween. I will tell you the safe word if I exist on the other side. You know, his wife never heard the safe word, and his family, till this day, does the seance trying to get the safe word. Interesting. Wow. I never heard that part before. But they have never heard it. Wow, man. You're kind of... That's, that's probably the coolest thing I've heard in a long time. So with that, let's talk about your YouTube channel. I urge everybody to subscribe to your YouTube channel because it seems to have a... It's taken off. You have a lot of really cool stuff on there. It It's taking off quicker than what I expected, especially over this last year. Like, um, uh, la- so this time at last year, I had 14 subscribers. I'm, oh, I'm well over 600 now. Yeah. So, you know, some people are like 600. You know, there's people on YouTube that have a million viewers. Oh, okay, good for them. I'm happy with my 600. I mean. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes... They have that many viewers, but they're showing a lot of stupid crap on there that's not even entertaining. You're trying that is to, true. You're trying to show something that's, hey, here's my investigation. Here's what I found. Right. So basically, the way my YouTube channel works is I do different paranormal-related content, paranormal talks, and I do a lot of paranormal application tests. So, you know, in the world of smartphones and smart tablets, there's an app for everything including paranormal investigating. So what I do is I go through and I download these apps and I try them out so that the people at home don't have to. They can kind of sift through what is complete BS and actually download something that works. Let me deal with the aggravation so you can actually use something that works. And so in your opinion, name the top three that you think are worth the listeners to download. Okay, top three, bar none. Number one would be the Ghost Hunting Tools app. Uh, it's a free app, or you can get a paid version for $1.99, which ups your library from like 1,500 words to 4,000 or 4,500 words, something like that. Well worth it to have the extra words. So that would be number one. Number two would be the Sono X10 Spirit Box app. One of the best Spirit Box apps I have ever used. And as a matter of fact, if anyone out there watches the show Ghost Brothers, that is the application that you constantly see them using for their spirit box. That is the Sano X10 spirit box. I would have to say number three. That's a kind of a toss-up. Uh, a lot of people will tell you Necrophonic. That's a very popular one right now. I like it, but I don't think I would list it in my top three. Top five, maybe. My number three would be another spirit box app called the SBX12. So the SBX12 works very well and you get a lot clearer answers than you would from the sbx 10 but the sbx 10 has a faster sweep rate which actually will make it less likely that you're getting radio interference if that makes sense it it does now would you recommend an amateur to use this or somebody who's not really prepared to tackle these things so i would given certain circumstances if you're an amateur you're just starting out and you want to try these things If you watch my videos, and I know you said you've watched a few of them, 
if you've noticed at the beginning of almost every video, I say something along the lines of I'm only communicating with spirits in this house. Anything else, you're not allowed to come through. You got to set your ground rules. That's first and foremost. You got to be safe. If you're going to use these apps, just as any divination tool that we use in the paranormal, you can attract something that you don't want, especially if you're trying these apps out in your house, guys. Make sure to set ground rules. Who you want to contact, who's allowed to contact. At the end of the session, close it out properly. When you're done testing the app or using it, doing what you want, don't just shut the app and close it out. Make sure you say aloud any spirits that came through to communicate. Thank you for your time. I'm, I'm closing the line of communication. And then close your app. It ensures that you're closing the doorways that you may have opened when you started your session. That's kind of almost a similar rules to the, to the board too, right? Very similar. Um, I've never, well, I take that back. I've used the Ouija board once. I actually do own two of them. But they stay outside of my storage shed. The girlfriend won't allow them in the house because I got them from clients who said they were haunted. I wouldn't let them in my house either. Yes. The, the last time I brought them into the house, we lost power. Okay. So now we yeah. got, now we, now we know. So let's say, and I know we're getting close to the end. And okay. let's say I'm a person, I have issues in my home or at work or something. And I would need to get a hold of you. How do you? I want to use the word advertise. How do you spread the word about what it is that you provide for people for this type of uh, activity? How do they get a hold of you? Right. So this is where I kind of differ from other people because I don't really advertise. I like going by word of mouth. You know, I like people saying, hey, I know this guy and I think he's going to work good for you. However, if you're out there and you need help with something, I have a wide network of people that I am connected to. I can find you help somewhere, somehow. All you have to do is email me at segraparanormal1 at yahoo.com. For the benefit, can you say that one more time? So I know, get the people, get a pen and paper out. It's segra, S-E-G-R-A, paranormal1 at yahoo.com. That is the email that I use for my paranormal team that I give to people who are contacting me for help with such issues. If I cannot help you because I'm not in your area, I have a wide network. I can connect you with someone who will be able to come and help. So you're well connected with different groups as well. So if you're too far away, I say, talk to this person, talk to that person. Right. And, you know, I, I know investigators from New Hampshire, where I am, all the way over to California, down to Texas, up to Alaska. So I've got a wide, wide net that if I can't find you help, I'll straight let you know. But there's a good chance I can find someone in your area that would be able to assist. Excellent. If for, if for the folks at home at Diego and the Vore Show listeners, if you want to know more about what Nate does in his in his group, you know, you can contact us at Diego and DeVore on Twitter. That's at Diego and DeVore. And you can also contact me at co-host underscore Diego at co-host underscore Diego. I'm on Twitter and uh, reach out to me. And, I, and if you have any issues or concern, I will send them out to Nate and then Nate will guide you where you need to be with your YouTube channel. What is what is the search name for that? Uh, it's Nate Elwell. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. And I know I subscribed immediately and I've been I've been watching up. There was that three part series there. Yep. So that three part series is actually a six part series. It's a six part series. You're talking about the uh, Medfield State Hospital, right? Yeah. Yes. I, I actually just released part four this weekend. Um, I'm behind, man. I got to catch up. So I just released part four. I have two more parts coming. Wow. So can it's you give us a little? Not a spoiler, but give us give us a little more what's what's coming. What are we? Yeah. So Medfield State Hospital is famous for one specific thing. Have you ever seen the movie Shutter Island? 
I had is DiCaprio, right? It's DiCaprio. So 70% of that was filmed at Medfield State Hospital in the church that's on the grounds. So we ended up, the last video, we ended up at the church. And that's where a lot of really strange stuff happens. That's going to be the one you really don't want to miss. And we get some responses that kind of tie up everything from responses that we got from the first video. So it's kind of weird how it comes around full circle. Wow, man. You know, I didn't even, I didn't know most of that. I mean, that's a great movie. I don't, I'm not a movie buff, but you know, I would recommend that movie. It's, it uh, it's totally so, anything you don't even expect. So another movie that's coming, I don't know if it's been released yet or not, The New Mutants. It's been filming for years. Um, so The New Mutants was actually filmed at Medfield State. Wow. Now, with, with movies that have come out, and, you know, we love movies, we love being scared, but I think that, uh, so out of the ones that are based, you know, air quotes based on true stories, because you had, the Conjuring, which came out the whole series, I think the first one was the best one. But uh, absolutely, out of the ones that come out, and you know Amityville, which is you know you can choose to believe whether it was a paranormal or he really just killed his family and that was all there was to it. So, out of the ones that are based on true stories, which are the ones that stick out the most to you? That you'd recommend to say, yeah, these are legit. So, based on the true stories, the ones that stick out the most to me, it's really difficult to say that because you know. They up everything because it's Hollywood. You know, you got to have yes. the effects. Um, if you're going to stick to the storyline of The Haunting, definitely The Conjuring, the original Conjuring, was really close. And even Lorraine Warren supported the movie. So it was really close. Um, a Haunting in Connecticut. Besides the scene where the house caught fire or something, if I remember correctly, it's the same movie. Um, that, from my recollection, did not happen in the case. Um, but that was relatively close. Um as far as that goes, that's the two main ones that stick out to me, honestly, in The Exorcist. Like, The Exorcist really over-dramatized it, but, you know, Ronald Doe actually did get exercised, and that was the other thing they changed, was it actually wasn't a female, it was actually a boy that got possessed. Yes, and uh, I don't know, that movie took the 70s by storm, man. Oh, didn't it? Scared the hell out of everyone. It did, I, I think. They did a great job. Oh, they did. It was just like when Poltergeist, the original Poltergeist came out. And I yes, and I think that I think the movie stands the test of time because even today's generation can watch The Exorcist. Legitly, you you are going to get scared. Oh, absolutely. There, there's no way around it. Uh, the movie itself was just it was well done. The graphics for their time were way 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 ahead of what they had, and they did a great job with the movie. It's 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 almost perfect. It was a hundred percent perfect. So before we go, and I know that. I have one more question okay. about items that could be possibly haunted, whether they're dolls, a certain possession of somebody had before. <clears throat> is is there a possibility that certain spirits could be entrapped or attracted to a certain item in someone's home? Very possible. So the thing you got to watch out for is uh, people who claim they have haunted objects, you know, that aren't haunted. Um, I actually do a whole YouTube video on scams aimed directly at the paranormal community. It's a two-part video. Um, as far as objects being haunted, yeah, think about it. Like, if you got a doll, right, you have a child that plays with that doll every single day. It gives that doll its attention. It gives it its love. That child is definitely going to imprint some form of energy on that doll. If you take a mirror, for example, a lot of people claim they have haunted mirrors. How many people and how many different emotions has that mirror seen over the years? You know, so you're imprinting. Every time you look at that mirror, you're slowly imprinting a little bit of energy based on your mood when you're looking into it. 
So could a spirit be attracted to that energy and possibly find home in that object as a vessel? Yeah, I think it's possible. Wow, you know, and I never thought about it that way because the mirror never lies. So whatever you see, you know, if you think you don't look that great, tall, fat, skinny, you know, whatever negative, it's imprinted. Yeah, you're imprinting that energy. And it's just like, you know, people say the mirrors are a portal. And the Velisca Axe Murder house, when the killer killed all those people, I think it was like 1906, you know, when he killed the kids and the family, he covered all the mirrors so that their spirits could not escape. Wow. And one more time, what was that case? Because I'm, I'm interested the Vel- now. The Velisca Axe Murder. It took place in Velisca, Iowa. Wow. I'm and, definitely and, gonna... the murder, and the murderer was never caught. I'm definitely going to check that out. So, my man, he killed, so... He killed, like, I think two parents and six kids total. Four of the children lived there, and two of them were guests. So, you think, in, in closing, well, let's go into that. Do you think, other than that person being a complete psychopath, could that person have possibly been possessed by something that talked to him or just basically influenced him in doing all these killings? Or is this just a person just, a, just 100% evil? You know, and that that is the question. So they did see a weird guy that came into town, and he was only in town for a few days. Uh, so in order to gain access to the house without anyone knowing, he had to have snuck in the house where they weren't home when they were at church. Because in this particular town during that time, they went to church religiously, pretty much on a time frame. They say that he broke into the house, they didn't notice, and he hid in the attic until they went to sleep. And then he came out and killed them. So it was definitely premeditated. So as far as a spirit driving him to do it, if you look at the case of like Ronald DeFeo, you know, in the Amityville, when the spirit possessed him to do it, it was instantaneous. Yes, he had occurrences that he claimed happened up until the murder, but nothing really overtook him until that night. So it was instantaneous. This guy went up into this attic and hid there for who knows how long waiting for them to come home. Do I think that there was anything paranormal related as far as a spirit attaching itself and forcing him to do this? I think the guy was just a psycho. No, man. You know, you're giving me a lot to think about. It's more things I want to look into. And hopefully, and I know 2021 is about to end. I'd like to bring you back in 2022. Just let me know a date. Let's do a deep dive and talk about some of these cases. I know you have more coming up. I do. So you just let me know a date, man, and I will gladly come back. Excellent, man. We really appreciate you being here. And um, for the folks at home, one more time, go ahead and uh, give out your social media. So they can get a hold of you. So you can find me on Twitter at Paranormal Nate. You can find me on Instagram at Nathaniel Elwell. Uh, You can find me on YouTube at Nate Elwell. Uh, Any places of those or along with the email that I listed earlier, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask. Uh, I'm willing to help and answer any questions as long as it's pertaining to a paranormal style situation. Really appreciate you being on and please uh, do, do yourself a favor, folks. Visit his YouTube channel. I subscribed immediately. A lot of great stuff in there, a lot of great evidence. Well, and you. Uh, you will walk away, if not a believer, at least you'll start questioning, wow, you know, can this happen? And I think you've accomplished your job very well on that channel, well, thank you, you and your daughter. So thank you for being on the show. Uh, for the listeners of the Diego and Devore show, our social media we talked about that is at Diego and Devore. You can get a hold of me at co host underscore Diego. On Twitter land, be kind to everybody, please, on Twitter. Any other social media, you you go on and uh, share your ideas, make friends, build relationships. And Lord DeVore could not join us tonight. Of course, you can tell without his presence tonight. And uh, he'll be back from vacation pretty soon. So, Nate, uh, thank you very much for being 
on the Diego on Divorce Show. Look forward to having you back in 2022. I look forward to coming back, and I greatly appreciate the opportunity to come on and speak with you. And we appreciate you. Thank you once again. And another excellent episode of the Diego on Divorce Show. giving us an awful lot to think about. And I'd like to thank all of you, especially the ones, Zach, thank you for your questions and all the other fans in the prior episodes who send their questions in and for supporting the Diego on Divorce Show. You can hear us on Anchor, Spotify, and Good Pods. Thank you, everybody, once again for your support. Stay safe. See you on the next episode. Hey, we were not done yet. Diego and the Four Show listeners, I have something really awesome that I'd like to play for you tonight. So, Nate, tell us about this um, EVP session that you have, because I know it's you send me a few, but this one stuck out to me the most. So tell us the history behind that session. And I, what I'm going to do is I want to play it after the show and the fans of the Diego and Divorce Show can judge for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I actually look forward to hearing their opinions on this. So one thing about me that I love hearing other people's opinions as to what people hear and what they don't hear. It's very intriguing to me how people pick up on different things. So this EVP was caught outside of the Women's Overflow Building, which was built in 1904. The basics of it was with the hospital became overcrowded in the first few years of operation. It, they received an influx that they did not expect. So they built this overflow building. So there's a lot of urban legends around this overflow building because I don't understand why an overflow building has a 16-foot tall chain link fence that's sectioned off into different quarantine sections. It kind of makes no sense to me. So some of the urban legends are it was used for scientific experiments on patients, you know, as far as LSD testing and such. And it's possible, I guess. So we're using the ghost, uh, the ghost hunting app, uh, the ghost hunting tools app. Wow, wow, stutter much. So I was using the ghost hunting tools app and we're sitting down and we're asking questions and we're not getting much, you know, as far as responses wise. So I didn't hear it until we played back and I was doing the review and making the video for this particular test that we had a voice come through that was a male that sounds like it says Wanda. Now, two seconds after that, there's a loud voice that says, Lo Wanda. That was actually the application itself giving me a name. So my question is, the spirit said Wanda, and then we get Lo Wanda through the application. That's kind of too much of a coincidence, you know, to be considered not real or not in a way, how do I want to word that? Uh, it's just too much of a coincidence to me. I can't think of how to word that at the moment, and that's bothering me. But if you listen, after we get Lawanda on the application, there's actually a scream. Did you hear the scream? I heard something not too so far it, after that, yeah. So it almost sounds like you hear me say Lawanda, that's a weird name, or something along that line, and then what sounds like a scream. So had that been anyone in the area around us, I would have tagged the recording and said, hey, if you heard that. But I didn't hear that at the time. I don't know where it came from. And I, I went through the historical documentation. I was not able to find a Wanda attached to this particular facility, whether in death records or doctor records. So I'm not exactly sure who this spirit was trying to contact. Wow. So Diego and the voice your listeners, judge for yourself. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to attempt to do a back-to-back on it so that way you're, you can hear it very carefully, turn up the volume, and if you have a good he- pair of headsets, put that on. I guarantee you're going to be amazed at what you hear. So, Nate, thank you again. I'm going to go ahead and put that on. They can judge for themselves, my brother. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you again. Jalen Divorce Show listeners, stand by. How were you guys treated in this building? Lawanda. Lawanda. That's a weird name. More exotic. Yeah. 
How were you guys treated in this building? Rwanda. Rwanda. That's a weird name. More exotic. Yeah. Visit thecryptocrew.com, your number one source for cryptozoology and paranormal research. That's thecryptocrew.com. The Crypto Crew is a research group led by Thomas Markham that investigates and documents things like Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, and just general weird things. They've won several awards. Check out the website today. That's thecryptocrew.com. The Diego and Devore Show. Every week, co-host Diego and Lord DeVore talk about pro wrestling, paranormal, entertainment, and beyond. Catch them on anchor.fm slash Diego-DeVoreShow. Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening platform. Learn more at facebook.com slash Show or on Twitter at DiegoAndDevore. It's not just a podcast. They are the Diego and DeVore Show.